0: Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today I'm joined with Ben Brown, and he actually left his doomsday polygamist family compound in 2007. So hey, Ben, thank you for joining me today.
1: Leslie, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: I tell you what... (laughs) First of all, you're really funny. And I gravitate toward really funny people. And you happen to be a comedian now. And you also have a book. We'll talk about that, too. I saw your videos. And I was like, Okay, first of all, you come from, you know, I I kept thinking it was the LDS or the FLDS, you know, like the Warren Jeffs, you know, and you said, No, 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 there are so many different sects. And that's SECT. So tell me about your specific organization of Mormonism.
1: Yeah, so Mormonism is a, a really broad umbrella term that covers roughly about 400 distinct groups that would call themselves Mormon, okay. and a significant number of those are polygamist groups, and the one that I grew up, grew up in was is probably the second largest, and it's called the Apostolic United Brethren, okay. which is how you know that uh, they didn't have any women in any positions of leadership, oh, wow. because no women would have signed off on that name.
0: <laughs> yeah, th- well, that's true, Brethren, yeah, that's true. <laughs>
1: And it's more commonly known, known as the AUB. That's kind of just the name that they put on the tax documents. They they call themselves like the work or the group, but it's headquartered in Bluffdale, Utah. But there are kind of branches all over the place. And my, my family headquartered in like kind of the middle of nowhere, Wyoming.
0: Okay. And you come from a really kind of a small ranch or compound, right? Yeah, so so my family
1: had a, a ranch that was just outside of town. There was a small small town, and we were like five or six miles outside. And so we, we had a little ranch with between 20 and 30 people, and they were mostly extended family members. So like my grandpa and his wives, and then my dad and his wives, and then kind of some other aunts and uncles were, were sort of in and out. And that was basically our world. Like there were other families kind of in the community that we were, maybe three or five other families at different points that were members of like our, our sect. And we would meet together like once a week in someone's garage for like church. But other than that, like my entire from the time I was like a kid until I was about 17, most of the time that I lived, I was just on that ranch.
0: Wow. Okay. so you were like totally cut off from everything mainstream, everything worldly, correct?
1: Yeah, totally isolated. Like, I mean, I things were kind of filter in like we we eventually got a TV I remember getting our first TV when I was probably like six or seven, which was probably like 95 or 96. Uh And it was like this tiny little black and white TV. And I thought it was so awesome. And we like watched star Wars on it. And I was like, Oh my God, star Wars. This is amazing. And so things would kind of filter in a little bit but my parents also they had a especially in a in a cult like that it's really important to control the media right Mm -hmm. it's important to control the information that comes into people's minds and so they had a really tight rein on that so like we were not allowed to watch just whatever movies we wanted to if we were going to watch a movie our parents had to approve it right if we were going to read a book our parents had to approve it first. And so we didn't have very many. Like I didn't watch a lot of movies. I didn't listen to a lot of popular music. I watched like no TV shows. Wow. Yeah, it was it was pretty. Uh, I, I read I read the Bible a lot and the Book of Mormon a lot, but those got boring pretty fast.
0: Yeah, well I'm sure. Yeah, but I also know your family uh, or your mom and dad. I don't know if it was the entire family there, but your mom and dad owned a bakery and you worked there for years. And you really didn't have a traditional school education like maybe i did right
1: yeah that's correct so my family homeschooled and i, I you can't see me but i'm using like air quotes and basically that meant that we would read some books sometimes and sometimes we'd like mom would hand me like a, a workbook or something like my algebra education was my mom handed me an algebra textbook and said here learn algebra oh. and then come and answer like come and answer questions if i had them but i figured out pretty quick that the answers were all in the back of the book oh. uh, and so i was like i'm no algebra now but most of the time yeah my, my family had a bakery and we were really leery You know, my my parents didn't want the way they said it is that they didn't want, you know, worldly people coming into the ranch who might like corrupt us Mm -hmm. or or maybe like abuse us or something. So they wouldn't hire people to work in the bakery. They would just have their kids work in the bakery. And so I started working in the bakery when I was age eight. And it was I mean, bakery sounds like kind of maybe it's not that it was it was a factory. There were heavy machines There were slicers. Um, and it was dangerous work. Like I would be burned. I got my finger stuck in a slicer once. Oh, wow. um, and, and I did that for from about the age of eight until I left at about 17. And it was gnarly. I, I would work sometimes, you know, an average day for me would be about 10 hours of work. And I would work upwards of, you know, 12 or 14 or 16 hour days sometimes.
0: Oh, my at eight years old.
1: Uh, so the eight is when I kind of started and then I eased into it so I wasn't I wasn't working you know when I was eight I'd probably work like four or five or six hours okay. and then by the time I was like you know thirteen and fourteen I was working the, I was pulling up the, the longer days oh
0: my god okay yeah well and another thing is you talked about it being a doomsday cult because I haven't really heard any of those videos. I haven't seen any of those videos. So tell me more about what they said or it, do they prepare for it or is it just one of those things? Okay,
1: they, they believe in the just the imminent coming, second coming of Jesus Christ. And the way that I was raised is that the last days were coming and they were coming very soon, like tomorrow and we had to be ready for it and so that's actually why my family had the the ranch and the bakery is that they imagined that they were sort of holding on to this property so that they believe that when the last days happen there will be just calamities and destructions all over the place there will be whirlwinds and earthquakes and wars and bloodshed and volcanoes it'll just be a whole disaster it'll like everywhere will be a disaster and so the righteous people in the world will be gathered to safe spots and one of those safe spots is going to be Lovell Wyoming so i'm sorry <laughs> for everyone who is righteous out there but when everything goes down you're going to end up in Lovell yeah
0: yeah, that's the safe place, right? Yeah, that's the
1: safe place. And I've decided that I'm just going to stay out here and die because I would rather die <laughs> than go back to level. But you guys can go back to level and they'll they'll put you up. You just have to join. You just have to be comfortable with polygamy.
0: I, I tell you what, first of all, okay, wow. And okay, but I do know that your family allowed you to leave in your early 20s, so because they thought they needed a lawyer in the family. So they sent you off to to college or school or whatever. I got to hear about that part.
1: Yeah, so part of their belief, right, is that as part of these coming calamities, what will happen is that the government will start to persecute and oppress the polygamists. Mm -hmm. And so when that happens, they were like, we need a lawyer in our family who can protect us. And they looked around, they were like, well, Ben reads books, so he's our guy. So they sent me to, to a community college, and it was massive culture shock. Basically, I like I went in and I took the ACT. I'd never taken a test before, and I did well enough that I got a scholarship. And then I started attending school. I got on the debate team. I started traveling. Wow. And that, that kind of process and that experience sort of started to open me up to the world. I started to make friends with people who I'd never really even interacted with and that I'd seen as evil. And that process sort of got me thinking and just... Questioning this this worldview that I was raised in that had been really restrictive, right? I I was raised to believe that the only righteous people were basically, you know, a a couple of thousand polygamists who live in Utah and Wyoming. And when I got out, I found that people were lovely, like everyone was very nice. Everyone was very kind, like, I, I was surrounded by people who were good and thoughtful and lovely. And it just it it didn't really square with with my experience. Right.
0: And, you know, it's that fear mongering, you know, to keep you in control. And before we started recording, we were talking about that bite model, behavior, information, thought, emotion control. And that's what this is. And, you know, you were talking about on one of your videos, you were like, and also, you know, it's a polygamist organization, what you were associated with. And some of the just the regular LDS Mormon people were like, no, 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 no. That's not what this is. So tell, tell my listeners what you had to kind of explain to them.
1: Yeah, yeah. So a lot, as I've started speaking about this more vocally, a lot of members of the kind of the more, more mainstream Mormon cult, which is the LDS Church, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is its full name, and when most people hear the term Mormon, that's who they think of, right? Mm-hmm. They're the people who have, they're that's the people who the Book of Mormon musical is about. They're the group that has the temples that are everywhere. If you've ever seen, like, kind of the, they look right. like castles. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that send out the missionaries with the white shirts and the bikes, and so they try really, really hard to distinguish themselves from polygamous Mormons, right? So they're like, they say we are not we don't practice polygamy we don't authorize it they actually do it's just not in this life so it's okay polygamy is something that you can live in the next life Mm -hmm. so for example like the prophet the leader of the lds church his name's russell nelson he is sealed or married to two women one of them has already died and when she died he got resealed but he's going to have two wives in heaven and so they still do practice and believe polygamy and, and women can't do that right so women can't be sealed to multiple husbands Husbands can be sealed to multiple men. It's all part of the same cult, right? Like what happened is that, you know, jo- Joseph Smith is the founder of Mormonism. Mm-hmm. And in 1830, he started the LDS church or the Mormon church, the Mormon movement really. Mm-hmm. And it was a straight up cult. Like if you look at the history and if you if you know anything about how cults are formed and what the characteristics of cult leaders are, Joseph Smith is one of those guys. He was charismatic. He had a really unique and interesting take on scripture. And he married teenagers, which are are like three of the classic hallmarks of a cult. And and so he started this cult, and then he got killed. And then he was followed up by a man named Brigham Young, who took the bulk of his followers. Some of them actually stayed and, and kind of got their own branch of Mormonism going back east. But Brigham Young took the bulk of the followers, and they went into the deserts of Utah. And remember, this is 1840s, 1850s United States. There's nothing in Utah. Utah is... Mexico at the time and no one lives here so they come out into the desert and then they're isolated for about 150 years right and and they just marry each other and kind of keep continuing and so this this cult is sort of groaned and ballooned and actually the LDS church has <laughs> it's it's weird because the LDS church has a, like undue influence in Utah politics it, it really dominates the politics of a state and it's a cult yeah. and and so it's all part of the same thing and over time that the LDS church said, we're not going to do polygamy anymore, but members of, of it decided they wanted to keep. And so they all started living polygamy. And so it's all kind of part of this one big thing. And I like to tell my LDS friends, like, look, just because you're embarrassed of your weird polygamous neighbors or cousins doesn't mean that you aren't related. Right? Like we come <laughs> from the same spot yeah. and we worship the same guy. Like, we, we exist for the same reason, and the reason is, is that we're descendants. Like, my family has been in the Mormon cult for almost 200 years oh, wow. because they were some of the early adopters. And so for 200 years, generations of my family have been steeped in this worldview, and only now are some of them starting to come out.
0: Wow. Well, you know, it's funny because... Well, it's not funny. The the Patriarch is very strong here. And also, it's like, you know, to me, it's like with Scientology or anything else, it's like these people get together, these men get together, and they're like, okay, we're just going to make up our own religion, and we're just going to make the rules, you know, make them up as we go. And because I think, I'm sorry, Joseph Smith liked young girls. So in my mind, he was kind of a pedophile. And then it became okay for everyone to become a pedophile. And it was just like... Seriously, and you're getting away with this? And back in the 1800s, you know, I'm sure, and no one really knew where you were. You could get away with it, you know. You really could,
1: yeah. And especially if you were a charismatic leader who told his followers that he spoke to God, and then what he would tell, like this is documented. Even the LDS Church admits this. Like, in fact, they have an essay. One of the reasons I ended up because I my journey was that I was raised polygamist, and then I eventually joined the LDS Church as sort of a step down program. And then I, I left the LDS church as well. And one of the reasons I left the LDS church is that they published kind of a defense of polygamy a couple of years ago where they were sort of responding to some of these accusations mm-hmm. that Joseph Smith practiced polygamy and that he had married, you know, underage girls. And in that essay, <laughs> they are talking about this girl who, whose name was Helen Marr Kimball. And she was married to Joseph Smith when she was 14. Oh. And the reason that she was married to him is that he came to her and her parents and told them that an angel with a flaming sword had appeared to him and told him that he would kill Joseph Smith if he did not marry Helen Mark Kimball. Oh, <laughs> which just... I think is absurd and actually hilarious on many levels, like avoiding like the trauma of like what happened to right. Helen Mark Kimball. But people believe this, right? That's a story, by the way, that I was taught as a child, oh. as one of the justifications for polygamy. And here's the thing that I, I think is ridiculous and hilarious about that. It assumes a couple of things. It assumes that, number one, there's a God. Number two, that God speaks to people on earth. And number three, that that God has an angel with a flaming sword that he can send to people to get them to do things. Right. And if there was a God who had an angel with a flaming sword in 1840s America, I don't think that it would have been sent to a dude in Illinois to tell him to marry a 14 year old girl.
0: Right. Well, it
1: it would have gone to like the president of the United States and would have said, hey, maybe slavery is not a good thing.
0: Exactly. Maybe
1: we should let women vote. Right. There were other problems that were going on. Right. Anyway, and so that's part of this justification. And then in that essay, it goes on to say that their justification for, you know, it says that Joseph Smith married Helen Marr Kimball several months before her 15th birthday. Oh yeah, And that that line right there just like stuck in me. And I was like, I'm out. I cannot be a part because there's only because 15 isn't better. Right. Marrying a 15 year old <laughs> isn't better than marrying a 14 year old. And the only good response to Joseph Smith married a 14 year old is Joseph Smith married a 14 year old. That was wrong. We disavow that. That's the only proper response. And when they failed to give that response, I was like, "Mm, this is not a safe place for me to, to be and for me to raise children.
0: Well, especially when you have your own children, though, Ben. Can you imagine? Exactly. you? And you know how you were when you were a younger kid, you know, you were 15, 16 years old. That's probably all you wanted was some kind of uh, relationship with a girl. Let's be honest. And wow. yeah, That's all I thought about. Yeah. And, and of course, you were so suppressed, you couldn't. And I remember you saying you went to the library and, you know, snuck into the romance aisle and kind of yeah, memorized I've, the paper. I've, I've since learned that they're called bodice rippers. And oh. I love that. the erotica books and you would, yeah, you would memorize them. And then you would, you know, go home and and take care of Ben Go home and take care of business. Yeah. 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 But the thing is that is such a natural part of life. And don't get me wrong. I don't, I'm not here to sit here and discuss that part, but it's just, to me, that is a human natural thing.
1: And not only that, like I, I do comedy, but I have got comedy with a bit of an edge and I, I have a bit of a beef with Mormonism. And one of the beefs that I have with it is that Mormonism engages in what I would call child abuse, which oh, is yeah. that it teaches children that touching their bodies is bad. And no reputable mm-hmm. therapist in ever will say that, right? No one will ever, if you go to a therapist and ask, hey, is it wrong to masturbate? They'll be like, no, it's great. It's a really healthy behavior. Right. And so I know why they villainize it, right? Because if you want to control someone, if you want right. to control a population, Let's take the one thing that we are going to do, right? 99% of humans at some point in their life, when they become a teenager, they're going to do it. So let's take that thing and let's make it wrong because then they'll have to come to us for forgiveness. And that's how you get people stuck in a cycle of shame and in a cycle of control. And it's abusive. It just
0: is. Uh, It is abusive. I have to ask you, and, and as smart as all these people are, and I asked the other LDS people this too, I was like, you figured this out, and it's because you got out of it, too, let's be honest. But how do they not understand this is wrong? I don't understand how they don't understand. Well, and maybe maybe I can offer a, a
1: little bit of a, a way to think about that, because I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, because I have so many family members who are in either a polygamist cult or in just the sort of more mainstream you know LDS cult. And so I've thought a lot about this. And this is what I think. I think that humans, we are wired to believe in story, if our brain is a computer, Mm -hmm. stories and myths are the operating system that run that computer. There's this fascinating book called uh, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah Harari, Mm -hmm. where he talks about how the thing that made sapiens distinct from other species of humans is that we had the capacity to invent myth, which is we had the capacity to tell stories about things Mm -hmm. that weren't literally true, but were true and allowed us to cooperate. So our brains are literally wired to believe in myth. And so when you are born into a myth, that's your operating system, right? So getting out of that is akin to taking a a Mac and installing Windows on it. It is a really difficult shift to make. And these particular cults, right, they are designed to to protect themselves, right? So if you try to use logic, if you try to use facts, if you try to use anything that feels like an attack, they've already been pre-programmed I'm being persecuted. So any attempt that you make to get them to change their mind, they're going to interpret that as persecution and actually as evidence that they're righteous because they're being persecuted. And so my approach has been, I tell people all the time, you cannot talk someone out of a cult. You can only love them out of a cult. That,
0: you know, show them by your own actions. What I, do
1: is yeah. I just say, I'm going to live my life as cleanly and as openly and as funnily as I can. Right. I'm going to be the best version of Ben that I can possibly be. I'm going to do that in front of them so that they see they, they see that I'm not ashamed. I'm living who I am you're and not, that I'm going yeah. to love them. Yeah, and you're not evil. And yeah. I'm not miserable and I'm not being punished by Satan. I'm actually having a great time. And what happens when you do that is when you don't conform to the narrative that they have of people who leave, which is that you're lost and fallen and sinful and sad, when you don't conform to that, that starts to just you know kind of mess with them a little bit. They're like, oh, I was told he would be like this, but he's actually like, yeah. like this. And that yeah. starts to create a little bit of cognitive dissonance. And that dissonance is only going to grow and grow and grow. And then eventually something will happen and they will be like, oh, I don't believe this anymore. Right. But that's only ever going to come from within. You will never talk someone out of a cult. You won't do it, but you can be there, love them, hold boundaries. And then when they are ready, they'll come to you and they'll be like, I need some help. Right. I need some help out. And that's kind of been my role in in my family is to sort of be that person, that gateway to a, a better life, but I can't force anyone out of there.
0: Right. It's like they all have Stockholm syndrome.
1: <laughs> totally. It's <Yeah, they're laughs> yeah. actually a really great analogy. You, you have, They have Stockholm syndrome for, you know, a guy that died 200 years ago. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah. And that's what's so sad, but um, I'm so happy that you're out. So I want to talk to you a little bit about, Here's the deal: You're a really successful comedian, and I think a lot of it's because you know self-deprecation is the best way to do anything funny. But the fact that you go in and you're like, "Listen," and you go, "Hey, Heathens, that's your opening line," and then you just start talking, and it's hilarious. Tell me a little bit of why you got into that.
1: Yeah, I've always really enjoyed making people laugh. I can remember being a very young kid and sort of like like holding court. Like I, I would try to get the attention of the room and try to like <laughs> it comes really naturally to me. It feels really fun. And humor has also been a really powerful part of my healing journey, right? Because when you grow up in really traumatic circumstances, one of the ways that you kind of learn to cope and and survive is is to have kind of a dark sense of humor. You sort of laugh about things. And in fact, one of the the things that has been kind of the most lovely things that I've learned since coming out is I, I came across this work by a guy named Martin Seligman who he, he did this work where he classified all of human religion, all of velocity, like he combed the entire earth and he categorized human virtues into 24 different character strengths. Right. And one of the categories of human virtue is called transcendence. So there are different virtues that are associated with transcendence. And those are things like awe, gratitude. But one of them that might surprise some people is humor. Humor is actually a transcendent virtue. It, humor allows you, if you can laugh at something, it means it doesn't have power over you. And if you're laughing, you're always present. You can't be worried about the past. You can't be thinking about the future. If you're laughing, you're, you're entirely there. And so humor is a way that I can kind of process what's happened to me, make it fun, make it interesting, and then also kind of show people that it's okay to laugh at things that suck. It's okay to laugh at things that are hard. That actually is empowering. And then it's also just really fun for me because now I get to be out in this world and it's kind of funny to me, right? I'm literally living a bonus life. I believe that Jesus was coming back by the time I was 25. Okay. And so I'm 32 now. I'm seven years into a bonus life. <laughs> yes, yes, you according are. To, according <laughs> to what I believe, this wasn't supposed to happen, right? And not only that, I'm living a bonus life in a world that I was taught was really evil and is actually really lovely. Yeah. Like There are so many beautiful things out here that I, I think people take for granted. So one of the One of the things I like to do, and this is kind of one of the avenues I sort of take on my TikTok channel, is I just go out and do things that I've never done. Like, I think before we recorded, we we were talking about Seinfeld. I'd never seen Seinfeld growing up. So I started watching it and then filming my reactions to it. Because Seinfeld's awesome. It's I mean, think about how cool it is that we get to live in a world where there's Seinfeld. Yeah. that's amazing right yeah and it's so fun to be able to show people how what we often take for granted is actually really delightful
0: well it's cool because you're at an age now you're older and you're at an age where you can properly appreciate the fact that you're able to do all these things and it was so funny because you had no idea that Seinfeld was even a comedian you're like why is he always doing the stand-up thing in the sitcom why is that and then and then you're like why are they talking about nothing and it's basically a show about nothing that's the big joke about the show and just just, you know, And then one time you were like, giving somebody a finger, what's that? <laughs> you were so sheltered. God bless you, honey. I mean...
1: <laughs> it's so fun. It's so fun to be able to to sort of be the person. Like for a while, it's it actually something that I was sort of uncomfortable for me for a while because I, I come out of this background. I know nothing about pop culture. I know very little about like at least once a day, someone will say something that I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) And that used to really bother me because I like facts. I like, I'm a really inquisitive person and I like knowing things until I realized that it's actually sort of a superpower, right? The superpower that I have is I don't know things. And that means that I get to be curious. I get to ask questions. I get to discover this world. And actually what's really fun about that is that most of us don't know stuff. Right, like right. not all of us grew up on a polygamous compound, but most of us haven't done everything. Right. right, most of us can still take an inquisitive and curious approach to life that says, "What's something new and fresh that I've never tried before?" And and you can even take that approach to things you've done every time. Can you experience something as if it's the first time? Can you notice how delightful just the really common sort of normal things that you
0: experience are? Let me ask it's you this a- though. Okay. So as far as your parents, do you have a lot of contact with any of your family members or your parents? Do you talk to them? Yeah, I have, I would say I have a middling
1: relationship with them. I've I've worked really hard over the last several years to, it it went kind of south for a little bit, especially as I was doing some healing, because I I was pretty blunt with them about how I felt about what they had done. And I had a couple of moments where I I sat them down and, and kind of was like, look, you abused me. These are all the things that you did that were a problem. This is how I felt. But since kind of doing that kind of coming into my power and sort of establishing that boundary, we've been able to. Sort of start from scratch. And as we started from scratch, i've like I've had a couple of really lovely conversations with my dad over the past couple of years. Nice. so a couple of really lovely experiences with my mom where she's come down and like watched my kids. And then I like, I took her to a spa for her first time and I got her like a pedicure, like the whole deal. And it was, that was really lovely because so much about the way that I was raised was impoverished and just kind of intentionally hard. Mm. They believe that the harder your life is, the more sanctified you will be. And Mm. so there's just a lot about our life growing up. that was physically very difficult. Like we lived Mm. in tiny trailers that were cold, that were drafty. We didn't have comfortable clothes. We didn't have comfortable beds. And so being able to sort of do something for her that was, that physically felt really good was really right. lovely for me. Yeah. And then I've been really intentional about cultivating that relationship and at least being public and remaining in contact with that family because I have so many younger siblings. I'm, I'm the third of 16. Mm. It was hard for me to come out. It was really, really difficult because I didn't have, I didn't have much of a social net out here. I didn't know a lot of skills. I didn't have a social security number. So I like had to figure out how to do that by myself. I had yeah. to figure out how to I, I forgot about that. You know,
0: that's the same with Warren Jeff's wife. She did not have a social security number and I never thought of that. I never thought that that would be an issue, but yeah, you guys are so um, entangled in your own world that you're not out in the outside world at all. I mean, heck, you're still wearing garments. I mean, it's just, yeah, that's just crazy yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah
1: there, uh, there are just some really simple things that you don't assume that, that everyone else knows how to do that you do that we don't know how to do, right? And so I've, I've tried really hard to cultivate a relationship with my family, even though they see me as the lost and fallen one, um, because I want to be a access, like an exit ramp for any of my siblings, should they want it.
0: Oh, so no one else has come out besides you and your family then? Well, actually
1: a couple of my siblings have followed me. Oh, and it's been, good. It's been okay. a really lovely, just a really lovely thing for me to be able to kind of be there to sort of like, hey, I've got you. If you have any questions, I can help you. If you need a therapist, and you do, here's your her number.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, and that's a good, I love that you knew to have a therapist because you, you have to deconstruct. You really do. And, and you know, hey, listen, I, I say this every time I talk about any religion. I try not to slam all the religions, you know. Um, I may not agree with them, but uh, somehow it's working for some people. Even this one is working. Um, it's not my place to judge and all the things. But I do worry about some of the younger kids and the younger girls. And, you know, it's just, it's sad to me that it had to come to this. But, you know, there's a huge awakening on Instagram and YouTube and TikTok about all of these different religions, Scientology, uh, FLDS, your, yeah. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And it's all over the place. So I know evangelicals, a lot of them were leaving the churches, you know, just because of all the other patriarchy and those things. So, yeah, it's just, it's sad, but it's good for them and... And that's
1: been one of the fun things about being on TikTok is being on TikTok, I've, I've learned like there's this tag out there that's ex-evangelical, yeah. which is sort of like the evangelical version of ex-Mormon. Right. And like I ended up on ex-evangelical TikTok for a while. And it was so fascinating to see how people who were raised in an evangelical, like really strict fundamentalist yeah. worldview had a really similar experience. Yes.
0: yes, they did.
1: And I think people are waking up all over the place and it's actually like there's lots of I call them pliglets. It's like polygamous plus piglet. It's the child of a polygamous union. Oh, yeah. But there's the pliglets who are coming out. That's actually part of what I want to do with my comedy is sort of raise awareness and grab attention and then resources and then I'm still working on like if I'm going to start a nonprofit or partner with an existing oh, nonprofit, nice. but I want to grab basically as much money as I can for my comedy. And funnel that into transition support for people who are exiting, you know, high demand religions. Because therapy is incredibly important as you're deconstructing, and it's really expensive and almost out of reach for most of the people who, who exit, at least the, most of the people who exit polygamy.
0: Right, yeah. And, and I can understand that because you came from nothing. I mean, your family thought that, you know, the martyrdom was the best way to go and get a better chance to go to heaven. So I, I get that. And they're not used to money. They're not used to having to make a lot of money. So and then you come to this world and it's a totally different thing. You need a car. You need a job. You need an apartment. You need, you know, all the things that you didn't have to worry about there.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a whole new world. Yeah. Oh,
0: my gosh. So tell me about the first time you tried alcohol. <laughs>
1: Oh my God. The first time that I tried alcohol, um, it was with my then wife and she and I, so I married her when I joined the LDS church and we've since separated. But at the time we were exiting Mormonism together Mm -hmm. and we were both really excited to try wine. Oh, yeah. And okay. so we were like, a oh, wine, like it sounded, wine sounded like so sophisticated and like so like, we'll be in France, like we're drinking wine. Oh, yeah. And in my head, because I knew how wine was made, I was like, wine is fermented grapes, right? So I, in my head, I was thinking, wine is alcoholic grape juice. Mm-hmm. And we went and we bought some wine. We had no, like, <laughs> you. if you want to see something really, really funny, you need to see a newly ex-Mormon walk into a liquor store. <laughs> They have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea. (laughs) Like, it's like, like you walk in and then it's just like, there's rows upon rows upon rows. They really need, someone needs to make like a introductory to like how to drink alcohol. And
0: coffee. Like on
1: course. (laughs) For (laughs) ex-Mormons. Yeah. Because you have no idea. So we like walked up and down the aisles and we're like, oh, and we just grabbed one and we had no idea what it was. And we're like, we'll go buy that. And and you feel embarrassed because you don't want to like ask questions because you're like, you're like, I'm an adult. Like I was, how old was I? I had to be 25 or 26. Yeah. So I'm a 26 year old man about to try alcohol for the first time. <laughs> and I thought it's not like I wanted to walk up to like the 21 year old girl who's working at, you know, the liquor store in Utah and be like, Hey, can you kind of show me around? Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we got like a, a red wine and mm. we're so excited. We go back home and we're so excited and we pour it and we drink it. And it does not taste anything like grape juice. No, it is no, it and is it was like that was actually a huge disappointment and it took yeah. us a while. So then we were like, Oh, we're not gonna drink. So we just didn't drink for a while. And it actually took a little bit before I started to cultivate a taste. Mm. Because and this is something that's actually kind of interesting because Mormons, because they're so restrict like Mormons have interesting restrictions, right? No alcohol, no coffee. Right. So wine is a very interesting taste, right? It's not sweet.
0: No. It you you, well, you, read, there you are sweet wines. It. There are sweet wines. Just so you totally, know. There are. Yeah.
1: Well, I've, I've since found them, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I, actually, I've, I've since learned to appreciate a good wine. Mm-hmm. But my point there is like coffee's bitter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, wine is, I don't know what you would call like a red wine, but it's like dry and it's just, it's not sweet, right? right. And Mormons love sweet, right? They love their sugary drinks, they love their cookies. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that because we've sort of restricted their world so much, they've kind of gone hyper into one area. Like, just an example of that is if you ever come to Utah, All over the place, there are these soda shops where you can get like giant cups of sugary soda, like Dr. Pepper or Mountain Dew, that have like shots of different flavored syrups in them. Really? And yeah, and that's what they drink. (laughs) <laughs> and then they say that the word of wisdom is a is a health code and yeah. that it's unhealthy to drink coffee and wine right is-
0: and and coke and all the doctors they all have caffeine in them and i think that's what you're yeah yeah, I, yeah. it's just and you know it, you make it up as you go and that's the kind of thing they were doing at least in my mind they were but um i tell you i'm so happy you figured it out and i'm so happy you went off to i don't know if you did you get your degree
1: I did. I actually did. I I got a degree and I taught high school for a while, which is hilarious because I did not attend school. (laughs) And so I I taught high school online for a while. I helped build an online education company. Um, And then about uh, six months ago, I I switched into comedy. So it's been just a really, really fun
0: ride for me. Right. And now you have a book out, an e-book out on Amazon. Tell us about that.
1: I do. So I I published a a little e-book. It's called My Dad Still Owes Me a Pig. (laughs) And it... It is a a short little story, and it's an excerpt from a memoir that I'm working on. Mm. So I'll have a memoir out by the end of the year. Nice. And I'm really excited about that because people tell me for years to do it and I'm finally doing it. And uh, so it'll be out by the end of the year, but I published just a little excerpt to kind of give people a taste and like to sort of fund the the publishing of the book because it turns out publishing books is a little bit expensive. Yes, it is. Um, but it, it's a story about when I was a kid and I really wanted a pet. And so it just kind of describes the different ways that I tried to go around taking this kind of common human experience of, of a child of wanting a pet mm-hmm. and then sort of showing what that looks like when you are growing up in a really isolated community uh, like a Mormon polygamous cult, right. and so it's two ninety nine on Amazon right now. It's really short. It's fun, um, and if anyone wants to like go check it out, I would be like thrilled for you to read it because it's it's kind of a labor of love. It was it was something that I I've been working on for a long time, and so I'm excited to finally get it Absolutely. out. Absolutely. To-
0: no, and you, what I'll do is I'll add the link to it in my show notes, and I'll also add. Do you have a website too as well, Ben?
1: I don't have a website yet. I'm I'm working on that, but okay. the best place for people to to follow me right now is just on TikTok. Okay.
0: Okay. I'll add that link too and of course your book link on Amazon because you are so much fun and I'm so glad that I found you and you agreed to do this because your take is so different than everyone else's but it's still the same. You know, you all have the same I'm kind so, of yeah. You from? And uh, you asked me on it was so fun. Oh, absolutely. And hey, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a blast. Absolutely.